so today we're talking about, uh, we're in this series, Survival Manual for Tough Times. We are, uh, how many believe we're in tough times? Uh, we always are. The Bible says the last days, difficult times will come. So, you know, we are in the last days. Uh, every, you know, if you look back through history, every season of Christians believe that the particular things that were happening to them at that time were the last days. In other words, they, they would say, you know, this must be the end because, you know, because of, you know, what, what's happening, because of the persecution of the Huguenots or the persecution of the Puritans or because of what was happening, specifically World War I and then World War II with the Nazis and then, uh, then the rise of communism and all of that. There, you know, as people would, we always interpret that is that that must mean that Jesus is coming soon. Well, it's true. We're in difficult days. We're going to continue in difficult days. Uh, and Jesus is coming soon. When soon? Well, it could be today. Uh, it could be 10,000 years. But it's soon. And for all of us, it's going to be soon. Because your life is just a vapor. <laughs> I just want to encourage you. Just remember, you're almost dead. And then, you know, you'll feel better. So last week, last week we, uh, what did we talk about last week? <laughs> uh, just drew a blank on that. Last week we talked about expect the unexpected. If you're going to prepare for tough times, one thing is that if you, if you prepare for the things that you don't think are going to happen, but that could happen. If you prepare yourself for difficult days, if you think, yes, it's probably going to be more difficult, harder more of a challenge than I'm, than I'm going through. You ever idealize things? You think, oh, if I could just get that, then life would be perfect. If I could just get a house, just move out of this old apartment that's driving me crazy, don't have any space for all my stuff, I could just get a house. And then you get a house and you think, gosh, if I could just get a handyman uh, who would fix all this stuff. It's just, there's always challenge everything you do. So, so expect the unexpected. So today I want to talk about that hope is an anchor. We have a hope, and we have a hope in Christ, and it becomes an anchor for our lives. It, 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 it is something that holds us in tough times. What's going to hold you in tough times? It depends on what you have your hope in. So we have hope as an anchor. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 9. Even though we speak like this, Paul is talking about how the, the Hebrews are, are having to persevere. It's a difficult season. It's a difficult time. We are convinced of better things in your case, things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So how do you, how do you inherit? Through faith and patience. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater than himself to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, eh, that's a loose interpretation, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to an argument. 
because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which one, it was impossible for God to lie, so he made an oath, and in that oath, these two things, God's promises are true, and it's impossible for God to lie. He, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. So what's going to happen if you get a hold of the hope? You're going to be encouraged. Seems like something you need to get a hold of, right? You need to be able to get a hold of something that's going to encourage you. Do you ever run in, is there enough in life to discourage you? Yes. So what we need to learn how to get a hold of the hope that encourages us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. A lot of, a lot of stuff here. A lot of stuff here. Uh, I'm probably trampling on a lot of things that David's teaching in his class right now. Great things about our hope that we have and what God's doing to us our position in Christ. Uh, that's the second hour. If you, I'd encourage you to take that class. Uh, we think in English, we don't think of hope the way the Greek thinks of hope. When we think of hope, we think of things like this. I hope it gets better. I hope the situation changes. In, in English, hope is a wish. Not necessarily, not necessarily based on fact or reality. It's just, you know, I, I hope the grandkids come over. Or I, I, I hope the weather changes. There, in other words, it's just an expressed desire. It doesn't really change anything, but it's something that we, we are expressing. It's, a, it's the wisp of a promise, not much more. Well, you don't anchor your life on a wisp. You don't anchor your life on a wish. So what's it talking about? The hope from God, the hope that the Bible talks about is different. It is not a hope in, in a thing. It is a hope in God himself. Our hope is in God. It's not based on a wish. It's not based on a desire. Instead, it is based on the character of God who cannot lie. And the prom he's truth. God is truth. He cannot lie. And on the promises of God. And let me, th can I just throw this out? We sang about the holiness of God. And I want you to get a hold of this. This is so important. When we think of holiness, we kind of do the same thing with holiness that we do with wish, that we think of holiness as purity. Be ye holy because I'm holy. When the Bible speaks about the holiness of God, the, it's coming from the word wholeness, the wholeness of God. And when the angels are there around the throne crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, they're not saying, God, you have no sin. God, you have no sin. God has no sin. But what they're saying is that, God, you are unique, and there is none like you. The holiness of God is that he is holy and completely different than everything else. He is the, why? Because he's the creator and everything else is created. 
Everything came about because of his desire. So when we say, holy is the Lord, what we're saying is, that's why the angels can say, they can say around the throne, holy. And they're not going, holy, 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 holy. You know, we've been doing this for a billion years, if years count, and they don't, but we don't have any other way of understanding it, okay? But what they're, they're continually seeing, this unique nature and character of God. Just think of some f- facet of, the, of, of God's personality that they have not seen or they have not seen it in that fullness or to that degree. And that happens with us. God reveals his holiness to us because we, we, we see his strength and his love. Have you ever felt God's love to a greater dimension than you felt it before? It didn't, didn't mean that God's love changed, but you saw it. And in that moment, you're like, wow. That's holiness. That's not the sermon. So our hope is not a wisp or a wish. It's, it's a hope based on the nature and character of God, the promises of God. You see, God is a God who makes and keeps promises. Our hope is that our God makes promises and keeps his promises. Verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. So, you know, when you, you, you might swear on the temple or you might swear on the altar, you might swear on your mother's life or you might swear on something. So you try to swear on something greater than yourself. God, who, who else could God make a promise by? There was, there was no one for God to make a promise by than himself saying, surely I will bless you and give you my descendants. So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves. The oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. So God appears to Abraham, and he first says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, this is really kind of the first promise, covenant promises God begins to make to Abraham. And he says to Abraham, said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, this, is, was two, this was twofold. First of all, Abraham didn't have any offspring. He was 75 years old. He had no children. He didn't possess the land. So God says to him, he makes a promise to him, he says, you and your descendants are going to possess the land. He doesn't have any descendants. So now 15 years goes by, Genesis 15, and Abraham's done a lot of stupid things in 15 years, and he's made a lot of mistakes, and, and the father of our faith didn't look like he had much faith sometimes, but God didn't give up on him, which should give you hope, and gives us hope, because it wasn't about what Abraham could do, it was about what God was going to do. It's always about what God's going to do. It's always about what God can do, has promised to do, and will do. In Genesis 15, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your great reward. And Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what 
can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? So he's saying, hey, God, remember this kid promise you said? I'm going to have an heir. And here we're rocking along here. And the only person that's going to inherit anything in this household is Eliezer, who's one of my servants. So, so he says, so what are you going to give me? And Abraham said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Now you have to give Abraham some credit because God says, I'm gonna give this to your descendants. And he doesn't fill in all the blanks, right? God says, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. So, so Abraham is trying to figure out in his own way, who his descendants are going to be. How's God going to work this out? You, ever, you never do that, do you? You never try to work it out for God, how he's going to answer prayer. You never like give him the, like when you're praying, you say like, you know, God, if the check will come in on the 13th, it'll clear the bank by the 15th, then I can make the payment and it won't be late. You never do that, right? We, sometimes we try to tell God how to do his promises. Abraham's in that same way. So, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be, which means, you know, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of kids. Abraham, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham said, when God said that, your children are going to be like the stars in the heavens. Abraham said, okay, I believe that. And God counted it to him, not because he had done anything, but God counted it to him as righteous because he believed God. He trusted in God. He had faith in God. He also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. But Abraham says, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Which is, we all, we're often big about how, right? I mean, okay, God, I know you can, but How? How, will you, how can I gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And these were symbols of, uh, to make a covenant promise. They cut a covenant. They took animals, and they cut them in half. Because it's a blood covenant. They cut these animals in half. It's a bloody, and you can imagine, this is a bloody mess, right? Just like Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross is a bloody mess. So he takes these animals, he cuts them across, and what they would do in a covenant, when they would cut the covenant, when they'd make this covenant, covenant, the two people would walk between these half halves of, of animals and make promises. And then basically what they're saying, if, if I don't fulfill my promise, what's happened to these animals should happen to me. So, so they, they're making a, a covenant. The birds prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and after, afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age." 
in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites is not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. So when did Abraham pass between the pieces? He never did. Abraham didn't keep the covenant. God made the covenant. God's the keeper of the covenant. God's the holder of our hope. Say, well, what, what if Abraham messed up? Abraham kept messing up. <laughs> but God didn't. On the day the Lord made the covenant with Abraham, said to your descendants, I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Canaanites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. There'll be a test on that later. See, so where our hope is anchored, our hope is anchored in a God who keeps his promises. He doesn't lie. He cannot lie. He swore by himself because there's no one greater than he can swear by than himself. What anchors our hope, what anchors us, is that everything God has promised is true. That be, in other words, our anchor is in God's promises. Our anchor is in the surety that God keeps his promises. Where is our hope anchored? Is it a wish? Is it a wisp of a promise? No, it's anchored in God's promise. So it's sure, it's steadfast. It anchors, our, anchors us in everything God has said. When Abraham said, God, how? How will this be since I remain childish? God said, I'll do it. I promise. Put your hope in that. When Abraham said, how? God said, I'll do it. And you, you see, hear what was supposed to happen. If you didn't fulfill the covenant, then what what happened to the animal is supposed to happen to you. Abraham did not fulfill, and Israel, his children, did not fulfill the covenant. So you know what God did? He fulfilled what, happened, what should have happened to the animals. He fulfilled himself on the cross in Christ. He bore the side of the covenant that we couldn't keep. He bore for us. When we think, when we think, how can I keep my faith to the end? I'm, I struggle. I've got sin. I don't seem to be making progress. How can I keep this salvation? I fail and falter so many times. God says, me, I'll do it. You just hold on to me and put your hope in me. Because your salvation is not in your ability, your salvation is in my ability to save you. When you get into a difficult place in marriage, how can I keep loving my spouse and not respond with resentment and hate? That's all I want to do in this moment of betrayal or failure. I don't have the ability. God says, me, I'll do it. You just hold on to me. Put your hope in me. When, how do you keep loving your children where they're in their throes of rebellion and spewing hate and creating a wave of pain throughout the family? 
God says, me, I'll do it. Just put your hope in me. God says, whatever you're facing, face it in the hope of a God who keeps his promises and a God who is able. Did God keep his promise to Abraham? Think about this. Did God keep his promise to Abraham? Now, if you read the story of Abraham, there was a king around where Abraham was traveling, around Egypt, where he was sojourning in the promised land named Abimelech, Ahimelech. He was the king. Tell me about Ahimelech's children. You know anything about Ahimelech's children? Are they a great nation of people? No. How do we even know about the Jews? They are a nation of people. God took the, the sons of Abraham and on a promise created a people. God says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you a nation. We know there's a nation. You know, you say, I, I can't believe there's a God. Well, God made a promise to a man named Abraham and said, I'm going to, your sons are going to become a nation. Did it happen? Is it still happening? Yeah. God is fulfilling his promise. God takes his promise and he builds a people. If you think he can do great things in the old covenant with Abraham, what do you think he can do with the blood of Jesus Christ? People, we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Our hope is anchored within the veil. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Seems like a funny place to put an anchor. (laughs) Right? This hope is anchored behind the veil in the Holy of Holies, but not the Holy of Holies in the, the temple that hadn't, at that point, for Abraham, had, it was not erected, it hadn't been built, did not exist from Abraham's standpoint, but in, 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 in heaven. You see, because in the temple there was a, there was a veil b- between the outer court and the Holy of Holies, And in the Holy of Holies, they had the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, that was where the presence of God dwelt. And the priest went in yearly to make sacrifice in the holy presence of God. Now he's saying, now your hope is not anchored within the temple. Your hope is anchored within the Holy of Holies. So what, what made the Holy of Holies special? The Ark of the Covenant? The The veil? No, what made it special was that the manifest presence of God was there. What makes the Holy of Holies special is that our hope is anchored in the reality of who God is eternally, in His presence, where God is the Holy of Holies. 
God is the most holy, separate, set apart, different. Our hope is anchored in who God is. Our hope is anchored in his unique character. Our hope is anchored in his desire to create us and choose us and call us and make us his own. His, our, our hope is anchored in that he loved us so much that he gave his own son who would die for us and then come and offer his blood as an eternal sacrifice once and for all. Hebrews 9. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not part of the creation, the tabernacle in heaven. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves like they would in the Old Testament, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. With his own blood, he retained for us, not for himself, for us, eternal redemption. The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who, who are ceremonially clean, unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. But much more than with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Our hope is not a wish. Our hope is built on the certainty of God's promises and that the complete work of cross of Christ, the complete work of Christ, that he finished the work, that he offered the sacrifice once and for all, once and for all, to cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. That he entered within the veil in the Holy of Holies and paid the debt, paid the price so that we could be saved. Then he sat down. Hebrews 1, verse 23, verse 2 and 3. Three times it says this in Hebrews. But in these last days he's spoken to us by a son whom he appointed, heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son of, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the word, by his powerful word. God is the substance. Jesus is the substance that holds all things together. If God lets it go, it's gone. It, it only exists because of him. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 10, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why all this emphasis on sitting down? Because it's finished. The work was complete. The work was enough. The sacrifice of Christ for your sins was enough. When you believe it and when you receive it, it is enough for every sin you've ever sinned, right? Every sin you are sinning, 
every sin you're going to sin. <laughs> One sacrifice. So that you are now complete in him. Well, this is our promise. This is our hope. That This is our hope. That it's anchored within the veil. It's anchored within the character and nature of God. It's anchored within who God is. That Jesus' blood was a better sacrifice, and it completely washed away our sins. It completely deals with our past. It completely deals with our present. It completely deals with our future. We've been made sons and daughters. Now, now, when are we going to be the sons of God? When we get to heaven? No. Now we are the sons of God. Now. And we have inherited the full inheritance of Christ. Everything that Christ gets in eternity, we get. Because he died and rose again to give it to us. This is a promise. This is our hope that God is eternally for us and not against us. You are not displeasing to God. You are not a disappointment to God. God is pleased with you because of Jesus. That's the reason. And what he's done. That heaven is our eternal hope. Heaven is real. Heaven is good. Heaven is a promise. We're all going there pretty quick. Our hope is anchored in the surety of heaven. Like, consider Christians like John Stamm. 1934, 20-year-old 28-year-old John Stamm, he was missionary to China. He was being led away to execution by communists with his wife, Betty. Someone on the road asked, where are you going? John laid hold of the hope set before him and said, we're going to heaven. Hope that is an anchor for the soul. When they got to the Fiji Islands, the Fijis were cannibals. They ate their enemies. And when missionaries in the early 1800s went to the Fiji Islands, the captain of the ship said, If I've set you ashore, you will all surely die. And the missionary said, we were dead before we came. Our hope is an anchor for the soul. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul, speaking to the Romans about hope. God is a God of hope. Why does God have hope? Because he keeps his word and he fulfills his promises. He cannot lie. 
Our prayer is that the God of hope would fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will then overflow with hope. In other words, have hope that you can give away. Overflowing hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Anchored in the hope that God wants you to have to fill you. Anchored in hope. And being anchored in hope, then you are filled by the Spirit with joy and with peace. Folks, I, it doesn't get much better than that. Anchored in hope, filled with joy, and filled with peace. And then, then, when we're anchored with, in hope, filled with joy and peace, it creates, we're not just living on just enough for me. Just, just get me and mine to heaven. No. It's a hope that overflows to a world that needs hope. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you are in the middle. You're in the middle of a struggle. Maybe with your spouse. Maybe with your kids. And with your job or your finances, your life's not where you want it to be. And you want to trust God, and what rises up in your, in your heart is how? How can this happen? How can this ever be better? How can this ever change? Where's, how is there any hope in this? God says, me. I'll do it. Put your trust and your hope, not in your circumstances, not in your life being better, put your hope and trust in me and let me do it. In you and through you. To hope in you, in Jesus' name. Father, we want to put our hope in you. We, Lord, we want you to give us a hope that's not a wisp or a whim or a wish but a hope that anchors us into the nature and character of God, a hope that holds us in the eternal promises of heaven, into who God is in his character and nature, who cannot lie and who keeps his promises and will finish what he has started in us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I love you.